Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Hey, I'm really excited about this morning. This morning is a big morning for us as a church. As Tim has already said, it's Commitment Sunday. This is the morning where we get to celebrate. We get to celebrate all that God has done uh, in us as a community. We get to celebrate the call that God has on us as a church, a call to go to our community, our nation, and our world to make an eternal difference. And it's, it's an exciting uh, church to be part of, an exciting community to be part of. You know, God has done uh, through this church over the decades so much, you know, in, in terms of blessing our community and sending people out uh, across the world. It's a, a significant call. It's, it's an exciting call. And again today, we remind ourselves of the call that God has for us and we get to participate uh, in that call. You know, we receive calls every day, don't we? On our phone, uh, just uh, if you've got your phone with you, just, uh, just show me. I know a whole bunch of you just have it right next to you. Come on. All you nomophobes out there, you're just going, what? What did you call me? Nomophobes. You know, they're, they're people who have a phobia of um, missing their phone. If their phone is not with them, they start to get anxious and sweat and worry. That's about 90% of the young adult population at Gateway. Um, they're all nomophobes. Hey, but we all receive calls, don't we? And uh, I, I just did a bit of research over the past week. I have received and made 67 phone calls which I don't think that's many. For some of you, it might be a lot. Uh, for others, it's like, man, that, that is not many at all. But we all receive and make phone calls. And when we receive a phone call, when our screen lights up, we have about a three-second inner dialogue to decide whether we're going to answer the call or not. You know, we either answer the call or we ignore the call based on whether we think it's important or not. So uh, when my phone lights up and I see this on my screen... I decide that that is not important. I'm going to ignore that call. Would other people agree? Do you ignore those calls? Often these calls come through at about 6 p.m. at night, the worst time, and they are telesales marketers. I've learned this through the mistake of answering the call. Often they're trying to sell you insurance or electricity or something like that. And uh, I've learned now that when I answer these calls, when I get called with a telemarketer, halfway through their spiel, you know, I kind of gently interrupt and say, I'm sorry, I'm really busy, I'm sorting out my kids at the moment, could you please give me your personal phone number and I will call you back tomorrow. When they say they can't do that, I said, how come you've got my personal number and then it tends to go downhill from there. When my screen lights up and I see this screen behind me, I decide not to take the call. <laughs> I ignore that call. Good old have a chat manie. Just want to have a chat about something. I'm just mainly disturbed by that photo and that's why I don't pick it up. If my screen lights up with this, I decide to ignore it. Has anyone ever received a call from some exotic country elsewhere? Anyway, long number. Hey, I don't know whether it's a mistake or not, but I am tempted to answer just to kind of have a conversation with someone who doesn't speak the same language as me. I think it'd be a lot of fun and really awkward. 
And then we have these calls. We do have these not important calls, which we can't ignore because they're actually from someone that we know that we want to answer but, you know, and speak to, uh, but they have mistakenly called you. You know, it's like a butt call. You know, they put them in your pants and they or accidentally dial your number. And when you pick up and you start talking, you hear this rustling and this kind of, you know, muted kind of conversation going on. They've clearly made a mistake. My name is Andrew. I'm at the top of the dial list and I get these quite a bit. Can anyone else get into these kind of mistake calls? All right. I want to have some honesty in the room right now. Who listens for a little bit longer than they should? Just trying to hear what they're saying about you. Maybe 10, 20 seconds, 10 minutes or so. I'm going to be honest, I have done that before. just want to hear if there's any good goss. You know, I... you know there are some, some calls that come through when our screens light up that we deem as important and we do answer. You know, when I get a phone call from ScoMo, who's on speed dial... And it doesn't matter how important the meeting I'm in, I'm, oh yes, Scott, how are you doing? How can I help the country today? <laughs> now when my screen lights up with this, when the Queen is calling, my sweetheart, I never, ever ignore your calls. I answer every time. And when my screen lights up with this, I, I always answer. It's Jesus the bloke on the phone. No, it's Jason, but I always answer the boss's call. You can tell him that later. You know, God has called us as a church, and we have a decision to make. Are we going to answer or ignore the call? And I'm so thankful that over the decades, we as a church have answered the call that God has placed on us, that we are called as a church to our community, our nation, and our world. And as we go, we make an eternal difference. And, and as we go, we make a difference to our local communities and to around the world. We have a local impact and we have a global impact. Our obedience to God's call makes an eternal difference. It makes an eternal difference in our local communities and around the world. Last week, we heard from Jason as he spoke and shared the story from the book of Acts where Paul is called. Paul is on his third missionary journey and he is planning to go to Asia, to Bithynia, to go and preach the gospel and plant churches. But as he is on his way, he has a vision. God comes and speaks to him. A man from Macedonia calls him over and says, don't go that way. Will you come to the cities of Macedonia and Greece? And Paul hears the call, he answers the call, and he obeys. And he makes his way over through into Philippi and plants a church, a church of significance. He goes to the city of Thessalonica and he plants a significant church. He then goes down to the, to the powerful, influential city of Athens. And there on Mars Hill, he preaches the gospel in front of the Areopagus, proclaiming the gospel, connecting culture with Jesus. And there are people there who respond to the gospel. And from that significant, influential city of Athens, Paul continues down and goes to the city of Corinth. 
And this morning we're going to read uh, what happens as Paul is called to that city, how he invests his time, his energy, his resources in planting a church in that significant city of Corinth. So why don't you open your Bibles up with me if you can, or grab your mobile phone if you're a nomophobe, and uh, we're going to read uh, this passage together from Acts chapter 18. The words will come up on the screen behind me as well. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent of it. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went to the next door went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city." So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Paul had been called by God to Macedonia and into Greece. And there he finds himself in this significant city of Corinth. And God says to him, I want you to stay in this city. I want you to preach the gospel in this city. You see, Corinth was a significant city in the Roman Empire, and the Corinthian church ultimately played a vital role in the growth of the early Christian church, and God had plans and purposes for the city of Corinth. You know, city was an important city in the Roman Empire. It was an ancient Greek city that had been kind of dwindled dwindled over time, But in 44 BC, Julius Caesar recognized that this was a critical and important part in geography. It was kind of like a gateway between Europe and Asia. It was a port city. And so he invested time and money into it. It was rejuvenated. It became a significant city, a port city where travelers would come through, where traders would come in. And it became a thriving Roman city. And it it embraced all the values of the Roman Empire. As one commentator said, Corinth had a ruthless occupation with public status, promoting one's own honor and securing power. Another commentator said, it's like the Los Angeles or Las Vegas of today. And we can see this in Paul's letters You know, the letters that he writes, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, are the largest body of writing to any of the churches that we have in the New Testament. 
And as we read those letters, we kind of see a mirror. Paul is writing to a church who's trying to grapple with how to be Christians, how to be a Christian community in a secular context, in a difficult context. And so Paul is pouring out what it means to live the Christian life. And you see some of the issues that the church is facing, some of the issues that it's challenged with because of the culture that is surrounding it. And as we read the letters to the Corinthians, we find this about the city. We see a city that is obsessed with alcohol and drunkenness, with narcissism, with sexual experience and perversion, with idol worship, with money and with wealth. In many ways, it sounds similar to many Western cities today. See, Corinth was a city that was in desperate need of God's love and grace. And that's why God has a heart for the city of Corinth. See, God loves cities because they are influential. God loves cities because there's people in them. There's lots of people in them. God loves cities because people are in cities and God loves people. And he sends Paul to the city of Corinth because cities matter to God. You know, cities are influential. They're important because they have influence over culture. It's what Timothy calls our culturally upstream. What is decided, what happens in cities, ultimately works its way out into culture. You know, so whatever is designed in the fashion houses of Paris or Milan will eventually be seen on the high street in Toowoomba. Whatever happens on Wall Street will ultimately affect the investments of the everyday Aussie. The tech developments in the Silicon Valley have a drastic impact on the future of how, in the future of how we communicate and interact. The decisions of government in London have widespread ramifications on European and global economies. We're seeing that at the moment. And even here in Brisbane, the decisions made in Parliament House have significant impact in the rural areas of this state. Cities have disproportionate influence in health, education, government, finance, technology, and the creative arts. And because cities are influential, they inevitably draw in people who are attracted to the opportunities and power that such cities offer. So cities are full of people. They draw in people. And we see this in Brisbane, in fact, we're seeing this around the world. There is this urban migration. People are moving into the cities. We're seeing this in Brisbane as more and more high-rises go up. More and more people are moving into the city. People of different backgrounds, different people at different life stages. They're moving into the city drawn by uh, the, the, the energy and the life that the city offers. You know, it's also a multicultural Cities draw in people from different nations. And we are certainly seeing that in Brisbane. You know, there is a building just near where we're going to be planning a church, 50 meters down the road, where a new student block has gone up, 900 rooms. We're going to see international students coming from all around the world. Whenever you walk through the CBD, you get this sense of the international. We're seeing more and more immigrants come and live in the city. We're seeing more and more refugees come and be located in the center of the city. See, cities are full of people. 
We also see people move, go into the city during the day. In fact, in Brisbane, 200,000 people go into the city, commute into the city every day to work. Cities are full of people, but they're full of people with need. Now, it's in, in cities that we see homelessness. You know, I just went for a walk. I was wa- working in the campus where we're going to be planning our campus just a few days ago. And it's very present there on Elizabeth Street. And as I walk around, I just took a photo of just what you see. There are homeless people everywhere in the city. But it's just not poverty that we see. There is, there is spiritual need. There is relational need. There are people in the city who are desperately lonely. Cities are full of people who are in need. Therefore, cities are full of people who are in need of Jesus. And God's heart is that every person, every person would come to know him. In 1 Peter, we read this, chapter 3. Instead, he is patient with you, that is God, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's heart is that everybody would come into a relationship with him. That's why he loves cities. God loves cities because people live in cities and God loves people. And so we're called to go and be a Christian presence in the cities in our nation. And we've been obedient to God's call to go, to go to our cities, to plant churches in the cities of this nation. Eight years ago, Gateway heard the call of God to go and plant a church in Ormo on the northern Gold Coast, one of the fastest uh, growing areas in the state. So Andrew Main, with a group of people, went from Mackenzie, obedient to the call of God to plant a church in that region, in that area. And because of their obedience, we have seen lives change forever. People have come to a knowledge of Jesus. They have found out that Jesus loves them. Their lives have been changed. Their families have been changed. We hear story after story. Why? Because there was a church there in Ormo to meet their needs. Last year, we heard the call of God to go and plant a church in Redlands and Logan. And so we did We sent our teams, obedient to the call, to go into those areas, to go into the city of Redlands and the city of Logan. You know, over the past year, almost 100 people have responded to the invitation to come and know Jesus. They've heard the good news of Jesus, and they've stepped from darkness into life. Their eternities have been changed. I think that's worth celebrating. Amazing. And that's why God is calling us to plant a church in the urban center of Brisbane, in the CBD, where there is great need, where many people need to hear, often for the first time, the good news that Jesus loves them, that he has a plan for their lives, and that their eternities can be changed forever. You see, as we obey God's call, we will have and we will leave an eternal legacy. We will change our city. And as a city is changed and as the church grows, it begins to have an impact. It has an impact in the local area and it has a global impact. We are called to love our cities. And a church that loves its city will ultimately have a local impact. We see this in Corinth. 
we see that lives are changed forever. Families are changed forever. As we read this story, we were introduced to a, a guy called Crispus. That's a great name. Any future parents, maybe you can think about that name for your kid, Crispus. And Crispus is a significant, influential leader in Corinth. He's based in the, he's the leader of the synagogue, which would have been in the center of the city. And he hears the message of Jesus from Paul, and he responds to the gospel. His life, his eternity is changed forever. But it's not just his life that is changed. It's his family's lives that are changed as well. His family steps from darkness into life. Their eternity is changed forever. And not just his family, but his household. All those who were in his staff, his servants, their lives were changed forever. And he was a person of influence. So I'm sure that he continued to influence as that church began, as he continued to do what he did in the city, sharing the gospel that more and more lives were changed. We read later on in verse 8, that many in Corinth gave their lives to Jesus. Many became believers. Many's li many lives were changed. And as their lives were changed, they became more like Jesus. That's the invitation. Once we invite Jesus into our life, when our eternity has changed, it changes us now. And we read in Paul's letter, his first letter to the Corinthians, he kind of gives them a vision of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to live a Christian life. And he pens some of the most beautiful words in all of history, words that are used in weddings across the world, whether Christian, secular or other. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he writes them saying, hey, this is what it means to live the Christian life. In verses 3 of chapter 13, he says, If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It, is not, it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I reckon as the early church there in Corinth read those words, as their hearts were being transformed, as they were being changed, as they were learning to love one another, they ultimately were learning to love their city and leave a local impact. In his book, The Rise of Christianity, professor of sociology and religion, Rodney Stark, makes this observation of the early church and its impact in the Greco-Roman world. He writes this, Christianity served as a revitalization movement that arose in response to the misery, chaos, fear, and brutality in, in, of life in the urban Greco-Roman world. Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with many urgent problems. To cities filled with the homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachment. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered 
a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fire and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. For what they brought was not simply an urban movement, but a new culture capable of making life in Greco-Roman cities more tolerable. Let me tell you that the presence of local churches in those cities in the Greco-Roman world changed those cities and changed the empire forever. And we are called to do the same. That picture of the early church should be the picture for us today as well. As we go about our lives, we should leave a local blessing, a local legacy. Now, this, this was really, uh, this struck home to me recently. In, uh, in 2003, I felt God's call to go and be part of a mission trip to Africa from Gateway. And uh, I was a young worship leader just learning uh, what it meant to lead worship, and I went and joined that team. I remember standing on a stage in Kampala, the capital of Uganda, and I was leading worship in front of thousands, more people than I'd ever led in front of before, and I was incredibly nervous. I was scared, and I was leading with a team from Gateway. But I remember as I was leading worship in, the, in that service, God speaking to me and saying, Andrew, I am calling you to ministry. I'm calling you to lead people in worship. That was significant for me. A couple of months later, God again led me, called me to move to the UK, where I was trained and equipped for a couple of years in worship leading. I then moved and joined a church plant in inner East London, one of the poorest, most broken areas in all of London. It had the highest child poverty rate in all of Europe. High immigration, 60 to 70% of the population were a people group from the same area that Morris is ministering to in South Asia. Incredibly broken, incredibly poor, and there was no church making a difference we went and planted a church where there were 20 people who had invited us to come. And over that season of life and in that season of ministry, we went on to plant four more churches in that area. Today, over 1,000 people worship in those churches in that area. It's exciting. But let me tell you what is even more exciting. Last month, I was over in London for a work conference, and I went and caught up with some of my friends who were part of that planting team who are still investing in that church and in that community. And we went for a walk just in the area and went down to the paths, and I was bumping into Christians everywhere, people that I've not met before, people who go to the church, and they are influencing the social fabric of that community. They're involved in a whole range of different areas. They weren't part of the church plant to start with, but they've been drawn in and they're investing their lives into that community. They're impacting schools, social spaces, housing estates. Some of them are running social projects with the poor. Some are actually missionaries in that community. There are Christians there and they are engaged in that community because of church planting. See, churches that love their city, city ultimately have a local impact. And we are seeing that too with Gateway. We are seeing a local community impact through what we are doing here at McKenzie and in our other church plants. We're having a significant impact. You know, through our care center, we send out over 2,000 food parcels that support 40 families every month. 
We have 16 mental health care professionals serving in our Gateway Counseling and Wholeness Centre who provide 2,500 affordable appointments here at Mackenzie and Ormo every year, and hopefully down in Redlands and Logan into the future. I just want to say this is significant. We live in a city that is grappling under the weight of anxiety and worry and depression. What we do at Gateway through our Gateway Wholeness and Counseling Services is a gift. It's a gift to our city. We support eight local Gateway Beyond workers whose role it is to specifically reach out to our own community. And CareWorks, based down at our Logan campus, practically serves refugees who are struggling to integrate into Australian life. I want to say that each of those ministries started with an individual or a small group being obedient to God's call. They had the courage to step out. They counted the cost of stepping out, saying, you know what? God is calling us to make a difference in our community. And now we see and we've seen them grow and flourish in our campuses as God has enabled and used people and gathered finances and resources so that we can be a blessing to our city. You know, God calls us in different ways to different tasks. And it's our obedience to God's call that matters. It's our obedience to God's call that makes an eternal impact, that makes an eternal difference. God has called us. We love our community. We love our city. It has a local impact. But when we love our city, it also has a global impact. Because as we see people loved, discipled, and cared for in our, in our church community, we ultimately see them go out from this place and into the globe. We see this in Corinth. I love this story, and you don't get to get the full picture in the reading, but if you continue to read through Acts 18, you see the legacy of the church plant in Corinth. You see that Priscilla and Aquila join Paul in Corinth. And they learn and they grow under Paul and they serve together with Paul. And after that 18-month time, they move to Ephesus and they become missionaries and church planters in Ephesus, sent from Corinth to Ephesus. A little while later, Timothy, who is also with Paul, is trained up in that church and goes to Ephesus to become the pastor of the churches there in Ephesus. And then there's a great story. As they're now ministering in another city, sent out, preaching the gospel, seeing lives changed, another person is changed, Apollos. He comes along and Priscilla and Aquila disciple him, show him the way of Jesus. He is a gifted evangelist. He goes out from Ephesus and becomes an evangelist in the region of Achaia, a significant preacher of the gospel that sees many come to Jesus. See, it all started with a vibrant community in Corinth of people meeting Jesus, growing in their leadership, and being sent out. And this is profound. When we look at the early church, this small band of people who counted the cost, were obedient to the call of Jesus Christ and went, filled with the Holy Spirit, they made an eternal impact that was significant. It changed the course of the world 
It had significant impact in Europe that then spread out across the globe so that we are sitting now here in Brisbane, Australia, celebrating and worshipping the risen Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what happened in those cities, in those church plants all around Greece, had an impact that we feel today. That was revival. Do you want to see that in our time today? You know, God invites us. He calls us. As we go, filled with His Spirit, obedient to His call, we see lives changed that just have a ripple effect around the globe. You know, today we actually celebrate the fact that God is doing something in Gateway. That actually we're doing some of what the early church did, that we are discipling people, that we are preaching the gospel, that lives are being changed here at Gateway. And God is calling people to go. And there have been many people throughout the decades here at Gateway who have felt the call of God to go. And they have responded with obedience and they are having an eternal impact. You know, more than 20 years ago, Janine heard the call of God to share the life-changing message of Jesus with Arab people groups across the Middle East, seeing many who are lost and broken find hope and healing in Jesus. Significant. Over 27 years ago, Lyndall Brunner heard the call of God to go and serve in Thailand through education programs, community development, and the setting up of income generation projects to see orphans and disadvantaged children educated and find community. Many lives have been changed forever. Several years ago, two young adults from Ormo, Megan and Tristan Creeley, heard the call to go and serve the Cambodian people. After sacrificing years of studying and preparation, they have moved their family to that nation to play their part in seeing lives transformed by hearing about the hope of Jesus. Moved by the terrible plight of many girls being sold in slavery in Southeast Asia, Ruth and Murray Lowell heard the call of God to go and establish bloom in Cambodia and the Philippines so girls who have survived, survived significant trauma can discover that they are valued and loved. Bloom is making an eternal difference in young girls' lives. In 2001, Andrew Wright heard the call of God to use his medical skills to improve quality and access to medical services in northern Uganda, a part of the world ravaged after years of war and conflict. He purchased a piece of land by faith in 2003 in that trip that I was on. And today on that land stands a hospital that employs over 60 staff and is bringing real hope and change to Uganda. Now, when I stood on a stage in 2003 there in Kampala, little did I know that God was just not calling me to something new, calling me into ministry. He was calling others as well. Neil Wetzik was uh, part of that team. Neil was running a successful uh, practice, medical practice as a general surgeon. And he was part of that Africa team that went to, uh, to uh, Uganda and he went with the medical team, the Gateway Medical Team, to serve up in the northern part in Kickham with Andrew Wright and others. And they were working in the local hospital there. And during that time, Neil experienced a traumatic uh, moment where sadly a young girl died because of lack of equipment, lack of resourcing, lack of training. And he flew back down with the team and he was part of that worship service where I was leading. And during that worship time, as Neil was wrought, devastated by what had just gone on and asking God, God, why? 
God called Neil. God spoke to Neil and said, Neil, I am calling you to Africa. I'm calling you to invest in people in Africa, to train up doctors and medical staff so that they can be a blessing to that continent. And just recently, we celebrated the opening of Heal Africa's training building, a place where young doctors in that area can be trained up to serve their nation. It's incredible. A couple of weeks ago, Neil was just sharing the story at our Gateway Beyond Celebration Night that just before he returned uh, several months ago, a man was brought in with severe burns and was on his deathbed. They couldn't do much for him and the medical staff were caring for him, but they gave him what they could. They gave him the good news of Jesus. And there lying on his deathbed, this man gave his heart and his life to Jesus and his eternity was changed forever. That is the good news of Jesus. Neil is here just sitting down the front uh, today and he, uh, he uh, reminded me of the story of God calling him. Just want to honour you and Gwen uh, for the work that you are doing uh, there in the Congo. Now Neil and Gwen's story is like many others who are part of Gateway Beyond, who have heard God's call, have been obedient to that call and have seen God do profound things, change lives forever. I just want to say it's not just for the super spiritual or the really smart or the really gifted. God's call is for all of us. We all have a part to play, whether that's here in Australia, in our own community, in our workplace, or further afield. We are all called, and God is asking for us to obey. The question for us is, are we going to answer the call or are we going to ignore the call? Are we going to answer the call? Are we going to ignore the call? And as a church, God has called us. We've been called to go to our community, our nation and our world so that more and more people can hear the life-changing message of Jesus. And it's a big call. There is so much to do. As we look out at the next 12 months, we see so much to do. See, with the call, there comes the cost. Obeying God's call is costly. It's going to cost us. It certainly costs the church in Corinth. You know, for Paul and for Priscilla and Aquila to leave their families, to leave their, their friends, the relationships, that was costly. To move their businesses around city to city, that's just not a good business move. It's costly. It costs them. You know, it costs our gateway beyond workers, those who have heard God's call to go. It's been costly in terms of saying goodbye to friends and family. There have been relational costs. There have been financial costs as they have walked away from their careers, from their professions, to pursue what God is calling them to, both here and around the world. And it's going to cost us as well. If we're to see everything that God is calling us to do happen, it's costly. It's a big number. $1.2 million is the number that we need the money that we need to raise if we're going to do everything that God is calling us to do in our community, our nation, and our world. It's a big number. 
But I do want to give some context to that as we prepare to give this morning. I want to say that last year, through Gateway Beyond and our 90th birthday celebration, we as a church gave just over $1.1 million. Now, we are a generous church. Yeah, we can applaud that. But just know when you're applauding, that was last year. So we want, a, we want a big applaud for this year as well. That was last year. Which means that this number, even though it sounds big, is certainly attainable. It's a big number. It's a big call. We want to see God do some amazing things through our community this year. So I want to ask you just three things, one of three things this morning. Firstly, I want to ask you to consider continuing to give what you gave last year. If you gave to Gateway Beyond and, and to our 90th birthday celebration, which contributed to our church planning efforts in Logan and Redlands, I want to ask you, can you continue this year? Can you pledge over the next 12 months to give the same amount? Or secondly, could I ask you to consider raising that a little bit so that we can meet that $1.2 million target? Or thirdly, maybe you have started to come to Gateway in the last 12 months and, and you've, you're hearing about this Gateway Beyond for the first time. I want to encourage you to grab this card and follow the details on the back and to fill it in and start giving, start contributing. It is a big number, but God has called us to some big things. There is so much need in this world. We have so much to do. I wanna ask you, what is God calling you to this morning? What's He calling you to give this morning? Why don't we stand together? Let's stand. Hey, listen, as I was praying, we're gonna worship in a minute. We're gonna spend time filling in our cards and coming down and celebrating as we do that. But just as, uh, as we prepare to do that, as I was praying for us as a church uh, in the last 24 hours, I feel like God just speak to me afresh and encourage me afresh. And I, I think it's a word for us. In those last few verses in the passage that we're reading, God speaks to Paul and He says this. And if you open up your Bible, it's in red letters, which means Jesus spoke it. So Jesus said this, Paul, the red letters, they're the important words. Jesus' words. And Jesus, encouraging Paul, encouraging him in the call that he gives, says this, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. And I senses as I was preparing that God was saying to us as a church, Keep on giving, do not be silent, keep going. Don't get discouraged because we have been called to some great things. We've been called to the city of Brisbane. We've been called to the nation of Australia and we've been called to the globe to make a difference, to leave an eternal legacy. We all get to be part of that. Hey, can we pray together? As we stand, as we encourage one another, as we look to Jesus, let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You are calling us as a church. God, we want to be obedient to Your call so that we can make an eternal difference. God, we thank You for Your grace, Your mercy and Your power that changes lives. 
And God, we don't want to miss out. We don't want to miss out on the call that you have for us. Lord Jesus, we want to be part of a revival movement. We want to see our nation change for you. We want to see the city of Brisbane change for you. We want to see this nation change for you. God, may we be like the early church, radical in pursuing after you, radical in our obedience. God, may you do it in our time in a nation that desperately needs you, a nation filled with people who are lost and broken. Lord Jesus, will you use us to go? God, we worship you. We thank you that you call us. Oh God, give us a sense of joy this morning. May you give us a sense of who you are, your greatness and your majesty. We thank you, God, that you are with us. Lead us, lead us, we pray in Jesus' Name. And everyone said, Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or would like us to pray for you, please go to gatewaybaptist.com.au and let us know.